Welcome to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. The hit cast offers a weekly look at Hollywood from a conservative point of view. Sick of media bias infecting Hollywood headlines? Tired of stars insulting your views? Hit has your back. Now, here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome to episode 61 of the Hollywood and Toto podcast, The Right Take on Entertainment. This week we speak with comedian Tim Slagle, a sharp-witted soul who doesn't see things like 98% of his fellow stand-up comics. How refreshing. This week's show is sponsored by Tears Be Gone, the gentle eye treatment proven effective for both sleep-deprived parents and late-night comedians. Before my chat with Tim, I wanted to talk about film criticism. I recently joined the Pop Culture with Fanboy Know-It-All podcast. The conversation steered into film criticism, my fellow film critics, and what I do for a living. The subject's been on my mind for a little while these days, and I guess maybe all the talk about Black Panther and all the reviews, which have been so fawning, kind of pricked my consciousness in a way, but also I think it's been in the back of my mind for quite some time, too. You know, I started film criticism kind of in a sneaky way. I was working at the Pittsburgh Tribune Review, and there was a regular film critic who had the gig locked up, and that's perfectly fine. But when he went on vacation, I I raised my hand and said, hey, do you mind if I take over for two weeks while he's enjoying a well-deserved break? They let me do it, and that was sort of the, that was the beginning of the end for me. I really loved it, wanted to do it more and more. And I kind of did something similar when I went to Washington, D.C. and got a job at the Washington Times. I kind of volunteered myself to do whatever entertainment stories there were, whatever movie-related assignments they had for me. I worked, and I worked, and I ended up being one of the main film critics of the paper. And just a wonderful job, and I really haven't let go of that ever since. Now, you know, in a way you could say I'm a little bit like Adam Carolla. I've got my own pirate ship. I've got my website. I've got this podcast. And I have a couple other kind of related gigs that are tied to my film criticism. But it's kind of under my surveillance. I kind of do what I want to do. And that's important to me. But, you know, the way I do it is I review films from a right-of-center perspective. It doesn't mean I hate a film with liberal messaging. But I do let my readers know that, hey – these messages are in the story. There's a political bent here. Be warned. And then I kind of say, whether it's clunky, whether it's well-reasoned, whether it's off-putting, whether it stops the story cold, or maybe it really makes the movie better in certain ways. And I think the recent Black Panther movie actually does that for the most part. I think some of its politics are not maybe what I agree with, but I think it's brought into the story and woven into the screenplay in ways that make the, the whole experience better and good for Black Panther. The problem is that too many critics lean to the left review from the left, but then to p- pretend to be fair arbiters of the latest movies. And I, I think that's just wrong. If you doubt me, well, think about how many times modern movie reviewers sneak Trump into their film reviews and how often those little messages are negative or even extremely negative. Media bias is real, entrenched, and getting worse by the hour. It's bad. Entertainment media bias is just as bad sometimes and maybe even getting worse. Many film reviewers today are totally woke. It's all social justice warrior acclamations and just things that you wouldn't even read 10 years ago, let alone five years ago. Now, who does that serve again? Does that serve a mainstream audience or a very small niche group of readers? Well, that's important because it's a movie reviewer's job to serve the reader to find out, hey, should I see this movie or not? Is it worth my time? And why? That's job number one. And I hope I've kept doing that all through the years as I've been reviewing films for different outlets and organizations, websites, radio stations, no matter where I am, I hope I'm giving that particular message to my audience. 
is this worth your time? All of our time is incredibly valuable these days. I know I barely have a second or two to my own. I've got two kids. It's brutal. But when I settle down and watch a film, I want it to be the very best of the best. And if it's not, well, then I'm stuck, and hopefully other people won't be if I can steer them away from it. And the one thing you won't find in my reviews at HollywoodandToto.com or anywhere, really, personal attacks on the actors or even looking at their physical appearance in a negative light. I don't care if an actor is heavy set or thin or whatever. That's not my job to review it. It just seems mean-spirited sometimes. I also try to avoid as much as possible story spoilers. Now, there are a lot of critics who basically line out the entire narrative for the reader before even getting to whether they he or she liked the film or not. I, I just think it's a, it's a terrible idea. Now, some critics do put in spoiler alerts, and good for them, that is necessary. And sometimes people want to read the review after they've seen the movie, and they want to really dig down into what's going on. So that's perfectly fine. As long as you have those alerts there, that's well played. But if they don't have them, then I think you're just kind of cheating people. Now, I have to say, a lot of critics don't seem to have the sense of self-awareness that I've been trying to build, and hopefully my readers will let me know if I'm kind of steering in the wrong direction over the years. I'm sure some can say, hey, I do the best I can. I think about the readers. A lot of them can't. And a lot of them just forget that, hey, maybe some of my readers hail from red states and maybe don't want to read all about how woke a particular film is or maybe how it needs to be even more woke than it is. I think some just don't give their biases a second thought. You're listening to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. Here's a celebrity tweet of the week. This week's honor goes to Duncan Jones. Now, he's not a household name, but he's a pretty interesting fellow. He's the director of some pretty good films, including Source Code, Moon, and the upcoming Mute. He also happens to be the son of late rock icon David Bowie, whose real name was David Jones. Wonder why he changed it? Well, there's a monkey's connection there, to be sure. The director offered up this very cogent thought tied to Trump's Russia scandal. And yes, I'm using square, scare quotes with my fingers when I mention that. Here's the tweet. What does Russia hope to gain by meddling with American domestic policy? Focus. As simple as that. The more navel-gazing and insular American politics becomes, as it's divided upon itself, the easier a time Putin has to quietly invade its neighbors on the international scene. Huh. You mean like what happened to Ukraine under Obama's watch? Nobody puts baby in a corner. This is sporty stories of sheer adventure, my friend. What's your favorite scary movie? You will believe that a man can fly. That's right. We're talking about all these terrible franchises and more on... The Franchise, franchise. (laughs) co-hosted by Daniel Ehrenberg and Henry Papali, folks. That's right. So uh, check it out. Your boy Christian Toto from the Hollywood and Toto podcast has been on an episode about, yeah, baby, yeah. Yeah. Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery. That's right. And if you feel lucky, punks, you should tune into our show, too. That's right. The Franchise on iTunes. My hit tip of the week is The Ritual. Let me say right off the bat that it's not a horror genre game changer, not in the least. But it's exactly what I seek out when I'm watching TV late at night, looking to stream something interesting. It's well-crafted, it's engaging, and it stopped me from checking my Twitter feed for about 90 plus minutes, and 
I don't know. That's good enough for me sometimes. The story involves four friends who embark on a hiking trip after the stunning death of one of their best friends. Now, it's a really kind of dark, dramatic turn, and that particular sequence is horrifying. Now, the camaraderie here really feels genuine, and that's important. It also raises the stakes involved. Along the hike, they've run into an abandoned house, some very odd symbols carved into trees, and, well, there may or may not be something rustling in the woods. The film's final third is a bit average. It didn't really grab me. It kind of, all that buildup didn't really get anywhere that I really wanted it to be. But I stuck with it all the same. I was entertained, uh, certainly spooky at times, well acted. And uh, again, it's a horror genre entry that just treated fans of that with respect. That's sometimes that's all you can ask for. Horror films can be very, very bad. Even some that get lots of critical acclaim are overrated. So just go into the ritual knowing that it's an enjoyable time. You'll get exactly what you're looking for. It'll scratch that horror itch. And that's it. The Ritual is playing now on Netflix. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to my daddy's podcast. Now let's get to my chat with Tim Slagle. I've edited some of Tim's humor columns in the past, so he's always been on my radar. And I've been really curious to talk to him about his career and about the work he does for this podcast. He's a very funny guy who sees things from a right-of-center perspective. That kind of sounds familiar. You can watch what he's up to, keep up to speed on his latest tour news at timslagle.com. That's S-L-A-G-L-E.com. You can find out more about Tim at the show notes page at hollywoodintoto.com. Now, he not only does his stand-up routines, but he's part of not one but two funny podcasts, the Just Kill Me podcast, looking at some really terrible jobs that are much worse than the jobs you punch the clock for each day, and also the Rule of Three podcast with Bent Washburn. Here's my chat with Tim Slagle. Well, Tim, thanks for joining the show. You know, I'm always curious about stand-up comedians because when you think about what's the thing we fear the most, it's speaking in front of a live audience. And what's even scarier is speaking in front of a live audience and making people laugh. Was there a point earlier in your career where you kind of had that things fall into place sensation where you thought, hey, I'm good at this, I can do this, and this is going to be my career? Or was it more of an evolution, kind of a more organic process? Well, I always wanted to do it. I always wanted to be a, a, a comic from as long as I could remember. And it wasn't until um, the, the the comedy wave started hitting around the the, the mid seventies that I realized that it actually was a, a profession that you that you could actually do. And uh, uh, I was really fortunate. I was uh, uh, I, I rank myself up there with Sid Vicious and Ringo Starr of uh, people who have been in the exact right place at the exact right moment. <laughs> is uh, uh, I was, as the comedy wave just kind of just exploded across the nation, I was I was right there in front of it. It's uh, I didn't have to paddle into the wave. I was able to, I was able to snake it. Was there a performer <laughs> or someone who maybe helped you or maybe guided you along the way? Or was it, or did you kind of just, the talent and the wave took over? I was, I was kind of a jerk. I mean, there were, there were, <laughs> <laughs> there, there were people there. There were guys that had been there, you know, from the, in the club scene, had been doing comedy for years. And uh, uh, I just kind of snubbed them. I, my attitude was, uh, oh, you don't understand. I'm, I'm working on some new art here. It's a new art form. And uh, I'm doing a, a comedy without punchlines and jokes. And, mm. <laughs> and you know, it uh, it took me years and years later to realize that I had been a jerk. Uh-huh. And uh, now when these young kids at the open mic scene, when they when they kind of 
push me off to the side as a as a washed up has been i i feel it's karma <laughs> that's right do comedians ever come to you i mean kind of the, the beyond the ones that are just they're full of themselves but do they ever say hey you know what tim what do i need to do right now what i mean do they, do they kind of see you as someone that they can look upon and, and what kind of advice do you give them yeah, they actually do. It's a, I, I do some open mics. You, you, there's some people. There, there, there's a lot of resentment among some people. A lot of them. A lot of them too. It's just political. Mm-hmm. It just uh, you know they just can't stand my politics, and uh, they, they have no idea how much I actually agree with them on. But I don't. You know, but uh-huh. I, I don't. Well, wh- why? Uh, why ruin something I'm enjoying? I enjoy <laughs> the fact that they hate me. So. Uh-huh. Just keep it going. Um, but yeah, there are there are a lot of really, you know, nice kids coming up that actually do that do look up to me, that actually that actually recognize uh uh the uh, the time I put in and uh, do ask me advice and uh counsel. Yeah. You mentioned the wave surfing you did. Do you think it's easier or harder to become a stand up today in two thousand eighteen? You got YouTube, you've got all these different open mics, but it doesn't mean that the climate is exactly the same what's your take on oh that? the climate yeah the climate the climate is exactly different when i was doing open mics um there were uh paid audience members there who who were civilians that, that were just there to enjoy the show mm-hmm. so it, it's it was much easier to 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 put an act together in front of crowds like that than today you go to these open mic nights and it's it's nothing but comics in the audience it's it's not they're not really open mic nights they're more like support groups. Okay. And and, and when you're when you're making comics laugh you 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 it's it's a very specific group when you're making comics laugh. It's mm-hmm. comics don't find anything funny. So uh you you have to be you have to be really shocking in order to get a response out of comics and that's and that's essentially what they're developing I feel. Yeah. So Talk about, you know, what I remember is that in the 1980s, you know, everyone who had a stand-up comedy career was given a sitcom, maybe two. Is it, is the sort of the, are we kind of heading in that direction again? I mean, a lot of stand-ups are getting their own late-night shows, or is it much different today than it was in the 80s? It, it's much different today because back then that was the only way you could actually have a career. Mm-hmm. It's essentially back then when when I first started, you would you would live in your car and starve for for years until you uh, until you worked together the five minutes and, and impress the 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 people enough to get like a Tonight Show set, mm-hmm. and then that was actually the beginning of your career when you did a Tonight Show set. And then, you know, from there you would, you know, you would get management and an agent and representation and, you you know, you'd start opening for bands. And, and the ultimate goal then was to was to get the sitcom. That was that was, you know, until you were at that point, you really weren't making it in comedy. That was the only way to make it. Now, there's guys, there's a lot of guys that are just touring. They're just which for me, I, I came out to L.A. and uh, uh uh, looked at it a, a couple times uh, early on in my career, and I didn't like what I saw. I, I I didn't. Everybody there said, "Well, you know, I'm focusing on acting. I'm taking acting classes. I'm getting some acting roles." It's like, no, I wanted to be a comic. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Mitch Hedberg had a wonderful line. He said, "You know, it's uh, uh, it is you know, you start making it, and they said, you know, you're pretty funny. Can you act?" <laughs> and uh, you know, that's like that's like working your whole life to be a farmer and say, "Oh, you're a pretty good farmer. Can you cook?" <laughs> and uh, it, it, it's exactly how it was. I wanted just to just do comedy, and now you can. 
now there there is the ability there there are people just making a living doing doing uh, performances and that's and that to me that to me is it, it's a real excite for that reason it's a real exciting time in comedy yeah it's kind of more um, pure it sounds like yeah what what makes it not so good is that when i started doing it I'd meet a girl and I'd say, she'd say, what do you do? And I'd say, I'm a, I'm a stand-up comedian. And she would go, wow, that's, that's fascinating. I've never met a comedian before. Now it's, uh, uh, oh yeah, my brother did that for a while. <laughs> oh, well, uh, talk a little bit about your creative process as far as the writing, the, the making of the jokes. The, uh, are you the kind of person who has like kind of a scratch pad on hand or maybe you're talking into your iPhone and, and has that evolved over the time, over the ages? Yeah, yeah, I was never I was never a notebook comic. I was never one of those guys that was always writing things that I thought were funny into a notebook. Uh, basically, what I would do and, it, and it, it probably would have been better if I would have had a notebook. But uh, what I would do is uh, after the show, I would I would hang out at the bar and uh, start ranting. And occasionally I would get on a rant that, that amused people. And what I would then I would take that rant to the stage the next night and, and eventually doing it over and over again on stage, I would develop it into a routine. And that was uh, that was my that was my writing process. Yeah, yeah. Um, and is it much different but, now then or is it it's still? Well, yeah, about about 10, 15 years ago. I said, you know, I kind of missed the fundamentals the, I, be, be, because I came in, you know, in front of the wave rather than paddling into it from behind. Uh, um, I, 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 I wasn't I was never really an MC. I, w- I was so misanthropic on stage that I couldn't be an MC. I, I mean, I went I went right to a, to a, a opening act, hmm. you know, a feature act, a middle act. I, I, I whatever you want to call it. It's the guy that goes in between the host and the and the and the headliner. And that's and that's pretty much where where I settled uh so I never knew how to how to uh welcome a crowd and warm them up and then that's a skill I had to learn and that and the other skill is actually sitting down and constructing a joke and, and engineering a joke you know with a setup and a and a punchline. It, it, it never occurred to me to actually you know like again like I was saying about the old guys it, it, it never occurred to me to, to to try to do that and about 15 years ago I I, I started doing it and uh and now, now I kind of do both. Well, that sounds like a good, good evolution. There are th- some things that happen organically. So if we all buy you a drink after a show, we could be contributing to the next uh, routine. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And if you really want to contribute to my routine, say, uh, buy me a drink and say, I was very offended with something you did on stage. <laughs> I that's, that's where, that's where I write the, uh, gotcha. the, the, the bulk of it is when, is when, uh, I, I, it's kind of like uh, I'm kind of sometimes like a ventriloquist where where uh, I will do uh, the, that person that argued with me as a character on stage mm-hmm. and then and then complete the argument on stage. I so like it's uh, yeah. Yeah. You want to get in my act? <laughs> disagree with me. Yeah. G- gently heckle. <laughs> I recently interviewed uh, Megan McCain from The View and she talked about how much reading she does before the show, after the show, because there's all these different political topics are coming up and she wants to be you know, at least well-versed in them enough to have an opinion. From your perspective as a political satirist, do you do a lot of research or is it just sort of what you absorb every day that kind of influences the jokes you tell? Yeah, I'm reading all the time. I mean, that's that's uh, the, the, that, that goes way back to when I actually used to hold a printed page in my my hand. I used to, you know, when I, in the early days of comedy, I used to walk down to the paper box 
and grab a mm-hmm. newspaper. That's how that's how I would uh, uh, spend the afternoon before the showtime is reading the paper. Yeah. Then I'd do a show, and then, like I said, then after the show, usually I would be ranting about the stuff I had read in the paper that afternoon. So. Gotcha. Well, we're speaking with comedian Tim Slagle. He's clean and controversial, the kind of stand-up who doesn't exactly share the same jokes you're hearing at most comedy clubs. You know, I want to talk a little bit about comedy in the age of Trump. It sounds complicated. You know, all these late-night monologues, they sound more angry than funny. What are your thoughts on that trend? Is it going to deepen in 2018? We're a couple months in now. Or do you expect more of what we're seeing when, it, when it's sort of on the late-night circuit? I, I I think right now it's uh, it's it's the strangest time in political comedy that that, that I that I've ever seen. Uh, you know, on one hand, it's nice to have after eight years, it's nice to have a president that you can make fun of again. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't have, we didn't have that for eight years. You couldn't. You know, now uh, you can even make fun of the president's color. <laughs> That's right. It's or uh, you, that. that yeah, or the first lady. Absolutely, it that was not, or his family. That was not, you know, that was not allowed for eight years. So, you know, for that, uh, open the windows, let the breeze blow through. <laughs> uh, on on the other hand, there's there, there's two problems. Is 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 for me, uh, making fun of him is so a uh, hack. Mm-hmm. It just uh, it just it just seems to rely on the same things. Russia, uh, he's orange. Uh, uh, his hair, it, it, it doesn't, uh, you know, his, 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 his voice, his personality, which is really Im- easy to imitate. I think everybody has a Trump impression. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, there's no, there's no talent or style to it. It's everybody does Trump. And, and so it, it, it's hard to find it, And also he himself, he's funny. He's, uh, uh, you know, some people would say it's unintentional. I think a lot of it is intentional, and, and he plays it off as unintentional. Yeah. And, well, uh, it kind of reminds me of the Bush's dumb jokes and the Clinton is horny jokes back in the day. They were funny at first, but after a while, like, really, this whole meme is going to go on? I mean, I don't know how we, you know, I, I think you mentioned some of the easy layups for the Trump jokes, but I I, I think even the hardcore liberals are going to be like, all right, cheetah, Cheetos, you know, orange hair, skin, what else you got? <laughs> yeah. Do, do you do you kind of steer away more often from the Trump jokes for that reason? Or do you kind of, or you kind of double down and say, listen, I, I want to tell a Trump joke, but I want to, I want to go a couple layers deeper than what I'm seeing. Yeah. It's, it's mostly, mostly when it, when I hit Trump, I talk about, uh, uh I talk about what what his supporters are going through right now. Mm-hmm. It's it's I kind of feel I kind of feel that uh, that being a Trump supporter is a lot like being a closeted homosexual. Mm-hmm. You know, you know what you are, you know who you are, you know what you did, but you don't want to tell anyone. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> For reasons. You're yeah, you're afraid they'll make fun of you. They're afraid they'll they'll taunt you, and 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 when they like latch on to a, a woman that they think is really hot, you got to pretend you think that she's hot too. <laughs> that's right. You know, she is so electable. Oh my! Oh, what a great set of policies on her, if you know what I mean. <laughs> when you think about the, the comedians now, and comedians lean pretty religiously to the left. There are a few exceptions, obviously. I would think, from a commercial point of view, that that would actually be helpful to someone like yourself who is more free thinking who is more right of center 
a little bit like when the kind of coverage that I do of Hollywood is right of center. Since it's about three people who do what I do, I find it there's more things that I could latch onto, and I find like my exposure is getting brighter in a sense. Are you finding that? I mean, is this a good time to be someone who kind of cuts across the grain? Um, no, no, it, it's uh, you, you know, and it never really. Here's the thing about being a right wing comedian is that uh, the the people you, you, the most comics tend to be left, okay, like you said. So so that so that uh, people who tend to lean right are used to being made fun of mm-hmm. all the time. They're used to hearing it on late night. So so when you get a left wing comedian, uh, the people on the right they might not be as amused as the people on the left in the audience, but you know they pretty much you know they accept it. Uh, the, the, the the left is not used to being made fun of. They're they're expected to be taken extremely seriously. So not only are they not amused and, uh, you know, they, they uh, do their impression of Democrats at the State of the Union address, uh, they, they are also the kind that like to write letters mm-hmm. and complain and boycott and protest. So, so whereas, you know, whereas a, a right wing guy, audience member might walk out of a show, uh, and say, well, I just didn't like care for that much. The left wing guy is going to go home and, and organize a letter writing campaign mm-hmm. and, uh, call all the beer distributors and say, mm-hmm. stop distributing beer to that place. They book fascists. <laughs> is that getting you know, worse, that, that, that tendency in the age of well, Trump well, or? Yeah, well, that's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's, that's the way it always was. But now it's the I think the left wing comics are even having a hard time getting booked because what's happening is for the first time is 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 Trump has empowered the audience to do the same thing um, to 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 left wing comics is 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 that I've been getting that it's you know, you hear all the time, oh, I made a Trump joke and like a bunch of people started heckling me right away. Uh-huh. That's never happened in my lifetime. It's like, well, no, it's because you didn't make any Obama jokes. You know? uh-huh. Trust me, it was happening four years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, so now I think a lot of club owners, I think they just don't want it. They just don't want to book political comedy at all. Mm. So so it's, uh, you know, at least uh it, it it it's it's better for uh, being a right wing comic because now the left wing comics are in the same boat. Yeah. So. Well, maybe maybe it's time you team up and start doing a bipartisan pushback. So I mean that would be a that would be a happy uh, byproduct of this of the age that we're living in. Uh, yeah. No. I'm actually I'm actually I'm actually th- considering that. I've been mm-hmm. I've been in talks with another with another comic that tends to be left and, yeah. uh, and thinking thinking of doing that. I like and, that. And uh, doing like a healing the divide show. That's I right. think it. Would, uh, I, I I think it has great potential. Well, t- and t- and necessary because yeah, I think yeah. verge, I think we're on the verge of a civil war. Yikes! Well, to re-mention Ringo Starr, peace and love, peace and love. Uh, talk a little bit about being uh, the PC climate in 2018. I you know I thought with the election of Trump that uh, listen, there's a million reasons why Trump is president, but I thought one of the reasons was he said what he said. He didn't apologize, and I thought that was refreshing to a lot of people. And now I, you know, there's a there's an outcry that Peter Rabbit is attacking kids with allergies, and it just seems like we're getting into a sillier and sillier place. In a way, as a comedian, you're on the front lines in this situation. Is it getting worse? Is it getting better? Or are these just maybe high profile incidents that don't really reflect the culture at large? Um, no, it, it it is it is getting worse. Is that uh, is that there's there's a group in Chicago now that actually wants to. Uh, they want to start setting a code of behavior 
for uh, for for comics and uh, and and you know that uh, can't can't do jokes that that might offend for jokes that you know that 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 assault women and uh, it's like oh come on are we really are we really going to go back to where we were are we going to go back to uh, decency laws and cabaret licenses like we were in the fifties I mean, it's uh, yeah the the. Uh, on, on one hand, the PC culture—it's—it's it's still moving ahead forward, but yeah, but there's also there 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 is also a desire to move away from it. Mm-hmm. it, it it's, uh, it's you know, and and again, that falls right on the political divide. You know, there's one side that's pushing it, and the other side is saying, you know, it's uh, we don't we don't have to be PC anymore. So it's. Uh, Club, like I said, club owners, club owners tend to, they don't want to take the risks. They want to, you know what I mean? They want, they want everybody to be happy. So it's, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll shy away from it. Well, it's their life. I understand that. I mean, it's, 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 oh yeah, yeah. But you got to feed your family too at the same time. No, no, absolutely. There's a reason, you know, there's a reason why broadcasting was called broadcasting. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't, it it, it was, you know, at the time it was, yes, it was milk toast, uh, vanilla, you know, uh, television, and uh, but the reason is, is they 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 were casting to a broad segment of society. They wanted, and that that's, you know, that's kind of what comics comedy does. Although there is a, um, the, there is also a trend for for comics that can create their own niche. Is uh, there was an article, an interesting article in the New York Times about Fred Armisen and uh, his. Uh, he has a special comic comedy for drummers or stand up for drummers. <laughs> it's just jokes about for people who play the drums. Yeah. So, you know, there is, you know, with the Internet, uh, there is that ability to find, you know, a narrow, a narrow group of support. And I think um, that's why the, the, the Colbert's and the Samantha Bees have been successful, because back in the day, Johnny Carson had to get that broad audience and he played to both sides. Now you can go hard left or even hard right. And if you've got a small but loyal following, you're good. I mean, I think I don't think anyone's complaining about Colbert, and actually, he's done a bit better since you know taking on Trump in an aggressive way. No, absolutely. It's uh, you you know you figure half, you know half of America really does not like you know it's about fifty fifty now, but half America really doesn't like Donald Trump. So yeah, so you you know you play to half of America, you still got a pretty good audience. Yeah. You know, it's, it's uh, Carson was you know Carson was back when there were three stations, so. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Is there anything kind of happening in the comedy world that you're just getting a sense of that you could share with us? Uh, uh, maybe material that's trending or, or approach that's trending. You know, I look at the movies and I feel like com- comedy is really struggling at the theater. Uh, I haven't seen any really great game-changing com- uh, comic movies in a while. But uh, from your perspective, what's what's sort of uh, on the terrain or coming up maybe soon? Oh boy, that's a that, that, that's a rough question. Um, yeah, I, I I do think I do think I, I I do think that the Me Too movement. I do think that that is going to have a have a huge impact on on comedy in the future. I think it's going to be uh, it's it, there's going to be a press a pressure to, to to book more women mm-hmm. into comedy clubs and to uh, uh, not to to discourage you know men who 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 talk about sexual issues from the stage. I mean, I think that's gonna. That's good. It's going to be like a new Puritanism uh-huh. that's going to that's going to sweep the nation. I can't wait. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing also, already. But, so it's but also, you know, but by the same token, the, the the way the pendulum works is that I I, I was after a show and, and and one of the comics I was with mentioned to the bartender that he was a comedian, 
And it's like, oh, no, don't ever do that. So the bartender decided that he had to start telling jokes. Uh-oh. And, and, and he started telling some of the most uh, uh, racially offensive <laughs> jokes that... <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that's usually what they are. Uh-huh. And and it, it, I was sitting there listening to them, and, and it occurred to me that what makes – the only thing that makes these jokes funny is that they are forbidden. Mm-hmm. Is that is that now there there's no – there are very few swear words that you're not allowed to use anymore. It, it, it's uh, – I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna name them. I'm not sure what uh, what the, what the rating of your podcast is here. But 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 I mean, I, I, I could essentially say anything on a podcast, any word uh, that, that that describes a sexual act, and, and nobody would have an issue with it. Yeah, actually, that However, was my response with the uh, the recent movie Baywatch. Was the the script was littered with f bombs, and I thought, well, the shock of the f bomb is worn off by the first five minutes. It's no longer funny. And there's nothing else really creative here, so I'm out. So, but I, I yeah, know what you mean. But there are a couple words that if you were to use <laughs> one of those, if you were to use one of those words in Baywatch, uh-huh. uh, you would still be, be be hearing you would still be hearing about the fact that they did that. Yeah, no, I get it's, that completely. Uh, you know, it's uh, uh, Blazing Saddles all in the family. You know, mm-hmm. it, uh, neither of those could ever be produced today because there there are still swear words, and. Uh, um, it just it just they don't deal with sexual yeah absolutely. sexuality anymore well before I let you go Tim I had a quick question you know because you work in comedy and you've got connections that we don't are there any either up and coming comedians or maybe even veteran comedians that just you think man they're good and I wish they got more attention but they don't that maybe listeners can can maybe pursue or maybe if they're coming to their hometown they could check them out or what anything like that that comes to mind um, yeah, there's, there's a couple guys that really strike me as funny. There, there, there's a gentleman I do a podcast with, mm-hmm. uh, 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 Bent Washburn okay. is, uh, is touring the company's country. He's out of Utah. He's, uh, 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 incredibly funny, incredibly bright. Uh, uh, you know, his, uh, his stuff is, uh, uh, real smart humor. Mm-hmm. Um, another comic that I've enjoyed for a real long time is Ross Bennett. Okay. Uh, out of out of New York, he's he's been doing it longer than I have, and uh, uh, he just did. There's an aspect to to, to his comedy that, that, that that's reminiscent of silent movies. Mm, wow! It just he's almost like he's almost like a silent movie character on stage, wow, and, and just uh, and he's uh, incredibly clean and uh, uh, incredibly funny. Nice. Um, well, I will link to those two comedians on the show notes page at hollywoodandtoto.com so people can check them out. But uh, thank you again, Tim, for joining the HitCast. Tim will be playing at the Kenosha Comedy Club in Kenosha, Wisconsin, March 2nd and 3rd. And will host the annual Crash and Burn comedy event in Minneapolis, where my wife and I got married, April 3rd through the 7th. If you need more, Tim, you can listen to the Just Kill Me podcast, which focuses on jobs much, much worse than yours, and the Rule of Three podcast with, guess who? Ben Washburn. Tim, thanks a lot, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you, Christian. Well, thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out HollywoodandToto.com for both the show notes and, of course, the latest entertainment news. Please follow me at Twitter at HollywoodandToto. And we'd love it if you leave a podcast review over at iTunes. See you next week. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm. Good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. 
No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwans.com backslash yum for details. This episode is sponsored by schwans.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details.